Hello and welcome to Longevity Now, the place for all your news and views about life extension from around the world. You know, one of the great things about the now decade-long existence of the Immortality Institute and Longevity is that we can develop a good historical perspective of anti-aging research and the people involved. In this episode of Longevity Now, we find a familiar fellow, Kevin Perot, someone who helped found the Immortality Institute and the Methuselah Foundation. After being an advocate for many years, he now finds himself involved at the ground level, let us say the cellular level, in the battle against aging and death. It is often typical that one's life progresses just the opposite, starting in research, earning your stripes, working long hours as an undergrad or grad student before conducting research, and then eventually moving into management and advocacy. Kevin Pro's example shows us that you can tackle research at any stage in your life. He is currently studying senescent cells at the Buck Institute for Research on Aging. This strand of SENS-type research has come into focus recently because of a dramatic result from an experiment conducted at the Mayo Clinic where a rapidly aging mouse population was subject to removal of their senescent cells. The result was that many traditional signs of aging were absent in the mice as they grew. Here now is Kevin Perot with his thoughts on this aspect of aging research, his history with longevity, and thoughts on how we can all help out in the future. And here we are with another edition of Longevity Now, and today's guest is Kevin Perot, who, originally from Canada, took a rather roundabout method of reaching an anti-aging research position at the Buck Institute in California. Always a pleasure to speak with Kevin, as I have a couple of different occasions. Welcome to the program. Very, very glad to be here, Justin. And Thanks just uh, to begin here, uh, how did you end up at the Buck Institute? How did you arrive there? Well, Judith Campisi is the leading expert, one of the leading experts in the world on senescent cells. And as most of your listeners will probably appreciate, uh, senescent cells are one of the forms of damage, uh, one of the strands of SENS, Strategies for Engineered Negligible Senescence, proposed uh, by Aubrey de Grey and SENS Foundation, of which I'm, I'm one of the founders. And it was a natural target for me to work towards studying. And uh, Judith was one of the best. And uh, California, of course, the weather is beautiful. And, uh, and as well as being uh, very close to a lot of, of the community members that I've grown to appreciate over time. Yeah, a great spot for uh, you know entrepreneurial research and just a lot of great minds there in the Bay Area to always uh, collaborate with. And it's good Absolutely. to know that yourself, another great mind, is down there doing that senescent uh, cell <laughs> oh, research. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's, it's degenerating <laughs> rapidly. We need to get on with this really quickly. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that uh, senescent cell research. Of course, there was a recent mouse study that showed it was um, a genetically altered mouse that when the senescent cells were removed or deactivated, the mouse did not show any normal signs of aging. And of course, this sparked a lot of discussion uh, amongst anti-aging advocates. And the community was wondering what the next steps are. Uh, how are we going to leverage this research result toward humans? How can, um, you know, what are the next steps? What are you working on specifically right now? Well, of course, the, the study you're referring to is the Van Dersen study from the Mayo Clinic, uh, where they use a rapidly aging progeria model in mouse, which is then subjected to a genetic 
engineering approach which removes the senescent cells, the mice themselves do not live any longer really than their counterparts. They just live healthier. So this is not necessarily a life-extending approach. Um, And it shows the limitations uh, potentially of the progeria model, or if not the limitations, then at least that there's an awful lot more to this in terms of extending healthy human lifespan. But it is very, very critical and very important in that it demonstrates one of the key things which SENS Foundation has been trying to find out and what my research was ultimately going to try to uh, prove as as a component is that senescent cells are actually, although they're we know that they correlate with age-related disease. We had no proof positive that they were actually involved in a causative way. So this is, again, doesn't necessarily implicate them causatively, but it shows that removing them does limit at least some of the phenotypes associated with aging. I think there was cataracts, there was muscle degeneration. I think there was some adipose uh, tissue uh, issues, but the mice died of cardiac failure anyway. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting model, and uh, the work we're doing in Judy's lab is we're screening a number of compounds to try to look at the effects on the secretions of senescent cells, which as many people know are pro-inflammatory. They secrete a number of factors which degrade the extracellular environment and can influence negatively their neighboring cells, especially if you're in a, a stem cell niche and, and you have senescent cells secreting pro-inflammatory factors, stem cells, which are involved with tissue homeostasis would not necessarily function as well. And we do know that stem cells, uh, for instance, one of the factors that the secretory phenotype, uh, which Judy characterized back, I think, uh, four or five years ago in her lab, excuse me, one of the factors is IL-6. And IL-6 is actually a, a cytokine which they use in a laboratory setting to prevent stem cell differentiation and stem cell cultures. Mm. So when you actually, so an awful lot of these factors are going to be very influence stem cell function quite dramatically, may even slow down stem cell differentiation when you have, have them in proximity to stem cell populations. So uh, okay. removal of senescent cells may not, it may not be so much the fact that they are producing factors that degrade the extracellular environment, it may be that they, they are influencing stem cell and regeneration. Cell. Okay. Uh, and, and right now, you're screening compounds to battle against the, um, the inflammatory signals or the That's senescent right. cells release, correct? Yeah. So senescent cells uh, are, there's two hallmarks to senescence, and one is a growth arrest, which is a pretty universal phenotype. But the other hallmark of senescence is that a large percentage of cells that undergo DNA damage, at least, uh, types of senescent, uh, will start to secrete these pro-inflammatory types of molecules. And that is what we're trying to find compounds to limit, is this secretion of these factors. So essentially, that uh, if we limit these uh, inflammatory factors, uh, then is you know hopefully that would slow aging. But uh, the holy grail, perhaps, would be to remove the senescent cells altogether. I would assume. Well, what's being found in the recent publications that there's a a study by Liu, uh, which shows that senescent cells are actually an integral part of biology. They're not just necessarily a form of damage. They actually play a pretty critical role in wound healing. They, they actually play a role in regeneration, in, in, in the induction of regeneration. And we may want to remove stem cells, but we would want to remove them in such a way that we didn't impair 
uh, some of the systems in which they are potentially beneficial. Okay, uh, you mean senescent cells. We may want to remove some of them, but you're saying yeah, they're... yeah. But the, so so the, the the current theory, and of course it's very uh, early days, is that uh, senescent cells help in the wound healing response. They can recruit stem cells. They can activate the wound healing and regenerative response. And they can be involved actually in normal tissue homeostasis. And then I, was they are una- clear- I was unaware of that. I thought they were uh, yeah. just kind of useless old cells that... Uh, re- Not at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, <clears throat> this is definitely something that... Is more complex. People, it's a lot more complicated. Okay. And if you think about it, it does, doesn't make... It it's actually makes more sense to have a senescent cell serve as a, sort of a flag or a signpost for the repair mechanisms of the body to let them know that there is some sort of loss of integrity of the tissue in which they reside. So there's either internal damage to the cell, which calls the immune system to try to remove those cells which are damaged, and then also the factors that these damaged senescent cells secrete can induce a wound healing response. Hmm. And when you remove them, you can alter that wound healing response depending on what part of the wound uh, response you, or what time temporally they are they are removed. So the current theory is is that in normal wound healing, uh, senescent cells accumulate and then they are cleared by the immune system after the wound has healed. But um, it's almost like a few escape clearance, and then those few tend to accumulate with age until finally you have a small percentage of your total population of the cells in your body are senescent and they're continuing to secrete and they have basically escaped immune surveillance similar to the way cancers Mm. can escape immune surveillance. So we need to find out how to, they may be the subpopulation of senescent cells that we need to target. Okay. Now Uh, that makes it sound like it would be more difficult to use the immune system to remove senescent cells because it's going to be very difficult to find the subpopulation of senescent cells that we want to get rid of, but not clear them all out of the body. Exactly. But if, if we look at back just at this Mayo Clinic study, you know, that question may already be answered in that oh. once you clear, even if you clear all of them, you do tend to enhance health. So maybe the question of targeting a particular population may not be so important. But this is a major question that needs to be in a normal aging population. How does it affect wound healing? How does, it, uh, how does removal of senescent cells affect wound healing in a normal, healthy individual? Uh, would you want to remove them transiently? So there's a whole bunch of things. And, but, but at least we now have the Mayo Clinic study to show that the removal of senescent cells in a rapidly aging mouse model is beneficial to and, their health. Okay, and, and then uh, just to wrap up on your research there at the Buck Institute, you're going to find some compounds that counteract the inflammatory signals of senescent cells, and then you're going to test them out in animal models, uh, perhaps? In, yeah, uh, yeah that's, the, the, that's the goal. That's okay. the goal. So, so the, the lab has, is uh, involved in screening, a uh, number of screening projects, one p- with potentially hundreds of thousands of, of molecules, which, of course, I can't do myself. Yeah. But there are people in the lab who are involved with this. I'm involved in a, in a sort of a sub-project of a small subset of novel compounds, which have biological activity. And the goal is not necessarily to, the actual, the, the, the holy grail, as you say, would be to find a compound that actually selectively kills senescent mm-hmm. cells. Barring that, we will be very happy to find compounds that actually lower the inflammation, inflammation. that they secrete. Sure. So, okay. and so, so this is 
the move towards actually raising awareness that there are these potential broad spectrum approaches that can lower the incidence of many types of degenerative disease rather than focusing on the individual diseases themselves. Okay, and then uh, one thing that the community always wants to know about is how they can help out. Now, you know, I kind of mentioned to you uh, to you a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you have thought about it too much, but is there any of the mundane aspects of the research that you can offload out of the community, like searching uh, through databases of compounds or doing you know, old literature reviews to, uh, you know, to help out the research. We're always looking for ways to leverage the community to kind of speed things up. Well, I think what, what's really missing, and it's a more of a broad spectrum need than just especially for my project or anybody's project, is that there is a there is a lot of very smart people with a lot of knowledge, and there's just very little top-down kind of direction. There's a, a whole bunch of people willing and capable of understanding and doing the research. And what uh, the literature search and making suggestions what we do need is more money to actually put an awful lot of these potential ideas into into play. I know that it takes, you know, one of the things that's really been brought home to me in working in the lab is just how slow it is. It really is slow, especially when you're dealing with, it, oh, it, it's, it's just really slow and because everything is manual. Uh, a lot of things that, like high throughput technologies are going to be very important and uh, doing things cheaper and faster, and then getting the results back fast so that we can go on to the next stage of discovery. So we do need uh, communities to make suggestions of ideas. It would be nice if there were individuals within those communities who would be able to, you know, find out and suggest paths of understanding. But, you know, that takes takes deep, deep knowledge and, and an awful lot of time. So we really need some coordination. We need we need uh, central coordination, and that's uh, that's very difficult to have. Is, but yeah. but anyway, t- uh, new novel ideas and how to speed up research are always welcome, is what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that that is what that is what we need to do. We need to okay. automate automate this as much as possible. We need to do high throughput technologies, and we need to continue to advocate and promote uh, the transformation of science from this plodding bench work to, you know, high throughput technologies. Okay. And uh, lastly here, some members, uh, some people wanted to know how things are going at the American uh, Aging Association. Oh, well, the American Aging Association is uh, about 300 top-notch biogerontologists. Um, Largely, the activity of the American Aging Association is to put on a annual, very high-quality conference on aging research. That's pretty much their entire mandate, although there is a bit of a public remit in trying to raise public awareness and communicate to the public as well. Uh, They're doing extremely well. There is a broader movement for uh, not only the American Aging Association, but also the Gerontology Society of America and SANS Foundation and a few of the other leading community kind of entities to come together to try to form some sort of group that will raise public awareness about the importance of aging research, the, the development of rapamycin as a potential pharmaceutical uh, true anti-aging okay. bullet, as well as uh, some of the breakthroughs in sen- the senescent cells and these sorts of things. So it looks like uh, the American Aging Association is working then with SENS and uh, trying to illuminate new uh, research pathways and trying to uh, advocate for new research? 
Well, well, basically, like oh, I said, the oh. American Aging Association is puts on a conference. That's their that, main. That's, that's, that's their main. That's the main. That's thing the, that they that's do. the main okay. thing that they try to do is bring the aging research community together to share research. Okay. Um, they're they're of course working with Sens Foundation. Uh, Sens Foundation sponsored a couple of sessions uh, within the conference last year, as well as Glenn Foundation and a few of the other you know major aging research uh, entities were, are always involved. So it's it's a really common gathering place for everybody to share uh, information. We, as a, as a research community, I mean, they're, they're hardcore scientists, so they're, they're not the best necessarily outreach, okay. uh, but, but that's what we really need to do, and that's what our, where I think Longevity and a few of the other uh, entities on the net can become very important is continuing to blog and continuing to advocate sure. in, in the social media for these sorts of things. Okay, any last uh, points you wanted to bring up before we uh, end this episode here? Nothing except just to thank you very much okay. for allowing me to communicate to, to the audience there. And I mean, I've, I've been around and watched Immense and Longevity emerge, and it's really good to see everybody continuing the dialogue and the conversations there that are so important to advancing healthy human life extension. Well, I really, it, really appreciate it, it. Yeah, well, you're welcome, and thank you very much for doing the, the hard groundwork there uh, <laughs> at the, you know, at the cellular, cellular level of aging. Uh, yeah, so. it's moving too slow for my liking, that's for sure. <laughs> but but uh, I think we're at a tipping point in many ways, and our communities together will help uh, push us over the hump there. Certainly. Well, great All talking right. with you today, Kevin. Thank you very Keep much, up Justin. the great work. And there you have it. We all wish Kevin the best of luck finding ways to combat the pro-aging effects of senescent cells. And I hope you were listening when he suggested that advocacy and outreach are great ways to move the whole field forward. Of course, money is always a concern, so save a few extra pennies on the side to have something to donate to worthy organizations or various research projects in the future. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.